Well, welcome to our midweek uh, study. Uh, as we are doing each week in this uh, One Another series, we're bringing in a special guest to talk about uh, some things that relate to the One Another passage that we're considering this week. And this week, we're talking about praying for one another. And with me is uh, Guy Gibson, who has uh, been prayed for perhaps as much as anyone in the church over the last uh, year uh, because of the positive COVID-19 tests that you uh, received. And then uh, we've had several that have tested positive, but you're the one who drew the short straw and got really, really sick. So when was it that you went into the hospital? Uh, early in April. Um, I'd been sick a little bit the week before. I'd been diagnosed with uh, pneumonia okay. and uh, went on antibiotics. And by Monday, it wasn't doing any good. That was over the weekend. And then by Thursday, I pretty much felt like I was on death's door. And so Seth took me to the hospital and uh, admitted me. And, and then it all started, kept going downhill from there. <laughs> I, yes. And I, I remember, and I remember, you know, the all the prayer tweets or not tweets, but texts going back and forth. And um, then it seemed like after a few days, maybe things were looking a little better. At least that was our perception. And then things really took a turn for the worse. Yeah. As they, you know, is it the breathing kept getting more more labored and harder and my acceptance of oxygen was getting less and less so they were going from you know increasing my oxygen flow to finally putting me on the ventilator and but even then at that point the ventilator wasn't kicking in it wasn't doing any good and i was still going downhill so they had to try to stabilize me enough where i could do the life flight to nashville mm and uh, they did some suction and whatnot finally got me stabilized enough to make that flight and once i got to nashville they were able to hook me up to ecmo yes. which was really what that with the grace of god is what saved saved me well um do you remember uh, I'm, I'm sure by the time you're intubated you're sedated and, and probably have no memory of that but as as you were going downhill and, and realized maybe how sick you were getting what what was really your state of mind what were you thinking about uh just wondering you know how this was gonna come out and what the outcome was i don't think i ever until i was actually under and innovated i don't think i ever really thought that much about it being as serious as it was um and until I realized that I was intubated. And then, then it started flashbacks of my dad and other things mm. started happening. And then I realized at that point that it was potentially very, very serious. Yeah. Well, um, we're just so grateful that things did go the way that ultimately uh, they did, Amen. that you were able to first, I think, be released to Sky Rehab for a couple of days. And then I remember getting a text. I, I was going through my text threads this morning to refresh my memory. It says May 9th. Scott Gary sent a text out that said, guys home. Uh, how did that feel? What was it like to walk through the doors of your home and be it was, with your family? It was really good. The uh, doctors had not really wanted me home for another couple of weeks and wanted me to do more rehab, but Mother's Day was coming up <laughs> and I'd already been gone for over a month under very incredibly stressful conditions for my family. So um, they, I was good on the oxygen generator. So, uh, I insisted they let me go home and they finally agreed with me and, and they let me go home on Saturday before Mother's Day. Okay. That's wonderful. Um, well, I, I think most people who, who know you guys know that, uh, you are a, a father of many. How, how many children do you have? 
11. 11 children. So you've been a prayer warrior undoubtedly because <laughs> you don't you don't make it through bringing up 11 kids without a lot of prayers. Um, so you've been praying your whole life. You've been a Christian uh, your whole life, brought up uh, in the Lord. Um, and I know that you believe powerfully in prayer. And I, I know that you had to have been praying for yourself and no doubt for your family and for others while you were sick. But the big question I want to ask you this today is um, what did it mean to you then and in the aftermath to, to realize how many people were praying for you? I'm sure you, you know that everyone in the church here and around the country were just on their knees constantly. It was very powerful and very emotional. Um, you know, during the worst of it, I don't think I thought that much about other people. Uh, when I came out and was was informed of, you know, the various things that was going on, then it kind of, you know, came back to roost again, what I had kind of neglected in my own mind during the course of it. Uh, it's amazing how quickly, whether we're healthy or whether we're sick, how quickly we can become very selfish and become very self-centered. And uh, that's one of the things I keep trying to remind myself of that um, I need to be mindful of others more often. And um, because you do focus on yourself an awful lot. And that's uh, something that you know, comes to mind when you are by yourself yes. in the hospital and whatnot. Um, but definitely when I came out and found out about the prayers and the different efforts that were on my hand, mine and my family's behalf, it was, incredibly humbling and um, and very, very special to know that, uh, you know, when I've been asking God to take care of my family, to find out that he had not only taken care of them, but in great abundance. Well, that's wonderful. I, I, you know, God uses means to accomplish his ends. And you, you mentioned ECMO. I know there were a lot of great doctors and people uh, helping you along the way. Um, but ultimately we know that everything is in God's hands and uh, we're grateful that he's answered our prayers. We're praying for you to survive and to thrive. I know you've got doctor's appointments here in just a minute mm -hmm. that you're going to because you're continuing to have uh, lung and perhaps even some heart issues uh, as you try to recover. So we want to encourage everyone to continue to pray for Guy and uh, for his full recovery and his full participation in, in life with his family and with us as a church. You've been a, a friend and a valued brother and part of our congregation since you guys moved here and uh, we appreciate you so much. Well, thank you very much. It's good to be joined now with Jared again as we look at uh, one another passage from James chapter 5 verses 16 through 18 in which we are encouraged or exhorted to pray for one another and I want to just begin tonight by reading the passage together. It says in James chapter 5, verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Uh, in this context of James, the fifth chapter, James is talking about um, prayer. He's talking about a number of sort of situations that a person might find themselves in. 
Uh, if you're sick, he says, this is what you need to do. If you're happy, this is what you need to do. If, if you've got another problem, here's what you need to do. And there's almost no situation you can find yourself in that James doesn't have uh, a solution or an answer to how to respond to it. But one of the things that he exhorts us to do here is to, to confess our sins and to pray for one another. Uh, this is something I think is such a big thing for us as a church to try to work on in terms of just culture. It's not really something that you strategically are trying to do, but just that we open up our lives, that we live our lives together, that we share our burdens, our struggles, our, our shortcomings, confessing these things with one another, and then not gossiping about each other, but instead going to the Lord on behalf of one another, whether that prayer is done in person with the other individual or whether it's something that we offer on their behalf uh, at, at other times, the exhortation that we pray for one another needs to be taken seriously as Christians. And one of the reasons why, Jared, is just because it works. Um, <laughs> you know, too often prayers like the the last resort that we want to go to when everything else has failed. Well, we, you know, if it's come to this, you know, we may as well try to pray, but that doesn't seem to be James attitude at it at all. And in fact, one of the encouragements that he gives us is an example from the old Testament of a man by the name of Elijah. Uh, and what does he tell us about Elijah and what can you give us about the backstory to James reference to Elijah with a nature like ours and the prayers that he offered? Yeah, so so like you said, he describes Elijah as a man with a nature like ours, which is pretty incredible because if you look back at Elijah's life, uh, he did some amazing things. God worked so powerfully through his life, but he was a man of constant prayer. Uh, I think almost every uh, miracle that God works through him is prefaced with prayer. So you see that that consistency throughout his life. But what James specifically has in mind is about Elijah's prayer for rain, or uh, it starts out with uh, for it not to rain. And uh, at that time, Ahab was the king of the nation of Israel and had fallen into idolatry, and they were worshiping Baal, who was a fertility god associated with produce and crops, and it was all predicated upon whether or not it rained. Something has to come and nourish the earth. And so, Elijah prays for that. We, we might think, okay, you know, why, why would you pray for it not to rain? Well, his, his prayer is focused on uh, the people, the nation, turning their hearts back to God. That if it ceases to rain while the entire nation is worshiping this false god of fertility, then surely they would wake up and realize who the true God is. And so Elijah, he, he prays for that and he's answered but of course, that means that the land goes into a drought and then a famine. And James says that lasts for three and a half years. And so through constant prayer and devotion, the Lord, he takes care of Elijah. And then when the time comes, there's that grand finale where uh, God and Baal uh, are to face off on Mount Carmel. Showdown on Mount Carmel. Right, right, with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And so we are familiar with this story uh, it's they, they both are to build an altar, and whichever sacrifice is consumed with fire uh, is the one who proves to be the true God. And so the prophets of Baal, they uh, call out to Baal, and there's no answer. They even begin cutting themselves, and there's absolutely no response. And then Elijah says to fill this altar with water 
to cover it over, to flood the trench that was around it. And then he prays. First Kings 18 and verse 36, he prays, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back to you. And so, of course, the altar, it goes up in flames after his prayer. Baal, uh, the, the prophets of Baal, they are slain by the sword. Um, and then Elijah, he goes back up to, that, to the top of that mountain to pray one more very important prayer. And that is that it would once again rain. That after the hearts of Israel had finally repented from serving Baal, that God would send rain again upon the land. And after sending his servant seven times back to check over the horizon to see if, if any cloud was forming, he finally sees one off in the distance. And before long, it grows into this huge cloud. The sky turns black. Uh, rain pours over the earth. And it's another sign of an answered prayer in the life of Elijah that proves to everyone who the true God is. And there are so many takeaways from that. I think just generally a, a few quick things that I think we learn about prayer from this is, for one, that our prayers should be bigger than ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's so important that we cast our anxieties and our burdens on the Lord. But our prayers should never stop at I, me, and my. They should extend to our families, to our communities, to the whole world. That's what Elijah's prayer did. It, it focused on the entire nation. His prayer uh, was, was a, a, a transformative uh, process for the whole nation of Israel, turning their hearts back to God, which I guess leads into the second thing, that our prayer should be rooted in God's will. Uh, his prayer for this nation was for repentance. Um, it wasn't for material or economical prosperity. Like maybe sometimes our prayers for the nation sometimes turn to, mm -hmm. uh, and maybe that's not all a bad thing. But his prayer is really just the opposite. Yeah. It results in a drought and a famine and surely some economic difficulty. But it was all rooted in God turning the hearts of the people back toward Him. Whatever it takes. Yeah, right, right. And then um, that I think the last thing is it shows that our prayers require persistence in faith you know, not all of his prayers were answered right away okay. and that's especially true of this last one it seems like he he prays seven times for this to happen and finally it comes through and uh, that's not to say that God will answer us in the same way that he did Elijah in every one of our prayers that they'll be answered in the way that we hope but it does show us something about the need for persistence and faithfulness uh, in in our prayer for one another. Yeah, you know, sometimes we're persistent when it comes to praying for ourselves, but when he sets this example, it's a prayer for other people, it's a prayer for the nation, and it just seems so relevant right now, Jarrett. Those are excellent points when I think about the state that our country is in, and the greatest need that we have is for repentance. There's just so many things that we need as a culture, as a society, to turn from, and we need to turn toward God and uh, sometimes it's hard to know exactly what specifically to pray for about that, but 
Um, one of the things that strikes me in that story too is that you know Elijah praying for a drought uh, in order to bring people to repentance wasn't something that he just pulled out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, in, in Deuteronomy, for instance, God had said that if you turn away from me, I'm going to hold, withhold the rain. Mm -hmm. And Elijah, of course, was a student of scripture and uh, he knew what God had said. And so he prayed for this curse to come. But Deuteronomy also said that there was a purpose in the curse and that would be to turn the people's hearts back to him. Because, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we don't like hard times, but there's something worse than going through hard times. And that's going through any time, good or bad, without God. And that's where Israel was. I feel like in many ways, that's where we are today. So we need to be praying for one another. We need to be praying for our country. Elijah is such a great example. And I think your point about the persistence in prayer, we need to continue to come before the throne of God, asking him, putting our requests before him for the things that we see that need to change in ourselves and in the world around us. You know, um, I think all of us want to be better at praying for others, we want to be better at praying for all kinds of situations, but being an intercessor, which, which means to come alongside someone and sort of intervene on their behalf. So the idea is clearly that God is in heaven. Uh, here's a person that we love or that we care about that's in distress or has a need of some kind. And, and we kind of come in between the two and plead with God on their behalf which is kind of an amazing thing to think about because that's the role that Jesus plays for each of us. He's our great high priest. We're told that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf, but we're also invited as individuals to intercede on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our families, on behalf of one another as Christians. And I think we want to learn to do that better. So I think like Elijah, maybe the way for us to learn to intercede more effectively on others is to become better students of Scripture, to see how people like Elijah and other uh, folks in the Bible prayed on behalf of others so that we can do that more effectively. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes we struggle because we pray these generic prayers, Lord, bless so-and-so, and we come away kind of feeling empty or like that was just not really what was needed to be said. So can you think of any examples in the New Testament, for instance, of people praying for others that could maybe become a guide for us in how to pray for one another? Yeah, so another uh, example of a great prayer warrior in Scripture is the Apostle Paul. We see throughout the book of Acts some of his prayers and then his prayers for different churches in the letters that he would go on to write. And two of those are found in the book of Ephesians. And we'll look first at the one just in chapter 1. He starts with a greeting and then the spiritual blessings in Christ. And then in Ephesians 1 and verse 15, he says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion 
and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Uh, first of all, it just it must have been incredible as a, a first century Christian to get a letter from the Apostle Paul and hear him say, I have constantly been praying for you. Uh, th that must have just given them <clears throat> the exact encouragement, encouragement that they needed. Uh, but then notice his reason for praying for them is that he heard about them. He heard about their faith and their love, and that causes him to express his thankfulness for that to God. And it makes me wonder if, if we have that same attitude, that same mentality when we see other people serving the Lord. Uh, do we look at that and, and just think, oh, that's great, and move on? Or does that cause us to bow before God and thank God for how he's working in their life and to ask his continued blessing on them to keep working through them? And so I think that's an interesting example. I don't know that I've really done a good job of that in my life. Um, but I, I think Paul sets forth a great example there. But then his prayer is focused on their spiritual understanding. He prays that God blesses them with a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know God on an even deeper level than they ever had before. And uh, he says specifically that the eyes of their heart be enlightened. Kind of reminds me of the story of Elisha, Elijah's successor, you know, where uh, the uh, Assyrian army is there surrounding Elisha and his servant. And Elisha prays that the servant's eyes be opened to see the spiritual reality around them, that those who are with us are more than those with them. I think Paul is praying a similar prayer, that our eyes, that the eyes of, of these Christians in Ephesus be open to the spiritual reality of who God is. And he's, he asks that that happens in three ways. To know the hope of his calling, the treasure of God's inheritance in his church, and then the surpassing power of God's greatness toward us. And we could spend a lot of time breaking down each of those three things and how that might help us pray for one another. But just one quick takeaway, each of these three things focus on their understanding of and relationship with God. Uh, and maybe that's what needs to dominate our prayers. Praying for one another to know more and more the hope that God has called us to, both the heavenly hope that we have and the hope of living out his calling here on earth, the, uh, the, the, the way that God treasures and values us mm -hmm. like an inheritance, that's an incredible thought. We're his inheritance. Right. I, I, don't, I don't understand all that that means, but uh, Paul is praying that we come to realize that more and more. And then the third thing, the surpassing greatness that God has demonstrated throughout history, culminating in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so that, that's just an awesome prayer that we can be praying for one another, that God bless the people here at Lost River, that he blesses this community, this world, with the amazing and transformative knowledge of who he is. Very good. It's so rich, uh, Jarrett, and, and, and a great summary of, of that prayer. Uh, it's, it's such a strength to know that you, we can go to the Bible to give us guidance, not only for information about what we need to learn, but guidance in how to pray for each other. 
And another one that uh, comes to mind for me is, is, of course, the Lord Jesus. He's always our greatest example. And we know that he prayed uh, so, so fervently, so constantly. But one of the ways that he prayed uh, for Peter uh, is informative to me in that we sometimes don't know what to do with people who are struggling. We don't know what to do with people who've fallen away uh, or people that we're concerned about who, who might. And uh, that was the case with Peter, and Jesus saw it coming. And one of the famous uh, instances between the two of them, he says in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, which is just a, a terrifying thing to imagine. Satan specifically calling you out and wanting to sift you like wheat. When you know the story of like Job, for instance, mm -hmm. what Satan can do to a person when he has asked to have his way with them. And Jesus is telling Peter that, uh, that that's what Satan has asked with regard to him. But then notice verse 32, Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You know, as the story unfolds, uh, Peter denies, or Peter says to Jesus, you know, I'll never deny you. Jesus says, yeah, you will before the rooster crows. And then we know as the story, as the night unfolds, Peter does exactly what Jesus had warned him about. He ends up denying any association uh, or connection with Jesus. Um, and then he hears the rooster crow, and it says he went out and wept bitterly. Had to have been the lowest point in Peter's life. I think at some point, though, it maybe began to dawn on him that the, the evening had gone exactly the way Jesus said it was going to go. And maybe there was a moment when he had a remembrance that Jesus also said, when you return, this isn't the end of my story. I've, I've failed the Lord. I've fallen away. But he's praying for me. He said he's praying for me. And he knows that he's going to bring me back. Uh, what an encouragement that is. And I, I wonder if, if brethren who are weak, and those who fall away, maybe our own children, if they just know, they need to know we're praying for them and we're expecting that at some point they're, they're going to turn back. They're going to return. The Lord's going to bring them around. Uh, and we should do what we can to let people know, as Jesus does here, that we're praying for them even when they're not where they need to be. We're praying for you, and we believe that God's going to bring you back around. I uh, think that would be another great example. One other very quickly that I'll mention before we go back to Ephesians for you to kind of wrap that up is the great high priestly prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. It's uh, such an amazing thing there. He prays for himself. He prays for the apostles. And he prays for all believers who would believe in him through the testimony that the apostles would provide. And the main thing he prays for the for them about there and, and again this is in john 17 is that that they would remain unified that they would be one in, with one another just as as jesus and the father are one with each other that's a great thing for us to pray about jared um at all times but especially trying times like we're going through now it was one of jesus greatest concerns is that his followers would fracture that they would break into schisms and groups, each with their own opinion about how things should be done. And that's a struggle that churches are facing right now. And it's hard because we all do have good reasons for why we think what we think. And sometimes those are different from one another. 
The question is, are we going to come through this together? Are we going to have a unified testimony? Um, and are we going to stick to uh, Jesus and pray for one another that we'll have that unity that we need to, fit, to testify properly to a watching world? It will be that love that we have for one another that's going to be the evidence that we're Jesus' disciples. And I don't know of any better way for us to build that unity than to be constant in prayer for one another right now. So if you're at home wondering what to pray for right now, uh, pray that we'll remain solid, that we'll remain unified, that we'll remain together, surrounded around the great truths of the gospel. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is crucified, buried. He's risen again. He's reigning. And uh, we need to rally around that, continue to, to lean on him and to pray for one another to, to stick to that and to stick to him and stick with each other. So that's my little spiel and my examples um, of, of prayer that I like to go to to help me when I don't know what to pray for for someone else. Well, you mentioned that Paul prays a couple of times in Ephesians. First, in chapter 1, that their eyes would be open to see the greatness and and the glory of, of God and what he has for us. But what else does Paul pray for the Ephesians about? Right, well, it's, it's fitting that we're going to Ephesians after talking about unity because that's so much of what Paul addresses in this book. And there's even a hint at some of that in his prayer. But in Ephesians 3 and verse 14 is the other prayer in this book. And uh, you'll notice that it's similar, but he says there in Ephesians 3 and verse 14, for this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Uh, and so it, it's similar in some ways to the prayer that he prayed before, but it's almost like maybe a difference is instead of the first prayer focusing on seeing and perceiving, uh, this is maybe focusing a bit more on um, inner strength okay. and uh, growing into the, the fullness of God. Um, but uh, he says there in verse 16, I pray that God strengthen you with his power so that, and we might finish that phrase with, uh, that God strengthen you so that you may endure suffering mm -hmm. or overcome some trial or hardship. Which or would maybe, all be fun things. Right, right that, these would be great things to have the confidence or the boldness uh, to, to proclaim the gospel to the world around us. And like you said, all those things are great, but it's almost like Paul, he, he takes prayer to another oh, level. level. <laughs> and and he prays that God's strength do essentially two things. One, uh, that it strengthens them to know the love of Christ so that, number two, they be filled with all the fullness of God. And that phrase, the fullness of God, I think it could mean a number of things. I think it does mean a number of things. But here I think the idea is that your life becomes increasingly complete in God. Uh, praying that their lives be filled with meaning and purpose and satisfaction in God's own fullness. Okay. And he says that that happens by knowing the love and comprehending the love 
of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And what that says for us, I think, is the priority of prayer. Um, it's a good thing to pray for the physical needs of others. That's where we started out kind of in James. Uh, but Paul, what Paul focus on, focuses on more than anything else is that they be strengthened spiritually to know God's love and to experience his fullness. That's his main focus in these two prayers. And it reminds me of a, a story of one of my good friends. He was actually here visiting this weekend, Brandon Baston. Uh, I, I was talking with him and he's had a lot of things to pray for throughout his life. There's been a lot of challenges that he's faced himself and, and his family. And so I asked him, I said, Brent, I know that you are a very prayerful person. I know that you pray a lot and you ask others to pray about things. And so I asked him, what is one prayer that in retrospect, you know God's, what God's answer was that he delivered and he answered that prayer. And what I thought he was going to say was his father's continued recovery from cancer. His dad has been battling cancer and, uh, continually there's been great progress and positive reports and so I thought that he might say something about that but what he said instead was he said the prayer that I know God has answered was when my father uh, repented mm. and put on Christ in baptism <laughs> their whole family that whole church had been praying for years that his father finally turned to the Lord that his heart turned back to God just like Elijah prayed about for the nation of Israel and finally, even through something as, as difficult and trying as cancer, um, it directed his heart toward God. And now he is more faithful and committed uh, than ever before. Um, and he's becoming a great example for that church and for that community. And so I think about, I, I think about that example and thinking about what Paul prays for here that there are so many physical needs that we ought to be praying about and that are good to pray for. But above all else, it's, it's about praying to know the love of Christ so that we can grow into the fullness of God and, and come to know him more and more. Um, That's great. Um, you know, physical illnesses have a way of surfacing spiritual needs. Uh, we, we realize we're not bulletproof and we're dependent upon our maker. Uh, and, you know, Sometimes I think we become so focused when someone's sick, a loved one, a brother, a sister in Christ, that we, we just pray for their physical healing. But maybe thinking in terms of what you've brought to, to mind, that those physical maladies are uh, an opportunity uh, for, for them to be awakened to a spiritual need. And as you've pointed out so well today, Jarrett, um, Paul's prayers are not small. He doesn't play small ball. He's, he's swinging for the bleachers every time that people would just explode in their knowledge, understanding, and appreciation for who God is and what he's done, and that we would uh, magnify him with all that we've got. So thank you so much for your careful study, uh, doing such a great job uh, on these passages, and uh, I hope that it's been an encouragement for all of you joining in. We wanna uh, close by just asking you to, to pray for one another. That's what James says we need to do. There's a lot of one anothering that needs to happen and praying for one another should be right at the top of that list. Closing passages from 1 Samuel 12, 23, where Samuel, he's kind of talking about Saul and sort of talking about the nation of Israel as a whole. And he just says these words, far be it from me 
that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. So let's not sin against God. Let's not sin against one another by failing to do one of the greatest responsibilities and privileges, really, that we have, and that's praying for each other. It's sort of a priestly function. Uh, we don't have a priesthood as we typically think of it anymore in the New Covenant, but we're all priests if we are in Christ, and that's a privileged position to be able to entreat the Lord on behalf of one another, and let's do that uh, with a whole heart. Let's close uh, today by prayer again. Thank you, Father, for letting us open your word and seeing the treasures that are contained within it that open our mind to realities that we are so prone to overlook and to miss. To see spiritual truths, spiritual realities, and most of all, simply your greatness, your power, and your love that you've extended toward us and your son. Help us to see the great treasure that exists there, to dive into it, to experience it to the full. And Lord, help us to take what we have received and extend it to others, to pray for others, that they too will experience what we've come to know in you. Thank you for our brothers and sisters and for the fact that we don't go through this world alone and that we have each other to lean on and to pray for and to be prayed uh, for. By. So, Lord, thank you for the time that we've had together in this study tonight. Bless everyone who's listening. Strengthen them and in their inner person and uh, bring us all together again and keep us together in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.